Welcome to Reframe Your Life, a podcast for women who are on a spiritual journey and want to reclaim a vibrant and authentic faith. I'm your host and fellow traveler, Sandy Reynolds. Welcome to episode 91. I'm your host, Sandy Reynolds, and today I want to talk to you about death. I have been thinking a lot about death lately partly because my father passed away about a month ago, and also because I am turning 60 in a few weeks, and I've been definitely thinking about this stage of life and becoming more aware of my mortality. It's a subject that we leave to the professionals, and I think we only really talk about death when we are facing it, or as my guest today, Tammy Fold, says, when we have a brush with it. But today I want to revisit the conversation that we started way back in November 2016 with Tammy about reframing death. I found myself getting a little curious this year about some of the spiritual and religious and cultural celebrations that happen at this time of year. We have Halloween, we have All Saints Day, We have the Day of the Dead, and in Celtic spirituality, there is Samhain. And all of these celebrations or observances seem to point to a time of year when a lot of us feel the darkening of the days, the shortening of the days, and less sunlight, and we become more aware of darkness all around us, nature is shedding, the trees are losing their leaves, and it's a time when things are dying. Plants especially are turning black and wilting, and we're cleaning out our gardens. So I've been thinking a lot about this topic of death, and not the spiritual aspect of it from what do you believe happens after you die. I think that's a big conversation, but just about how we approach death and how we talk about it and how we integrate our knowledge that we're all going to die into how we live our day-to-day life. I don't know if you watched the movie Coco, the Pixar film that was out last year, It's available, I believe, on Netflix, but you can find it wherever you download your movies, I'm sure. In that movie, there was a child really coming to understand the Day of the Dead and the significance of their ancestors and the messages and learning that they could glean from those ancestors. And that raised a lot of questions for me. I still don't have the answers to. I've been thinking about this idea of ancestors. And I think most religions talk about praying to our ancestors in some form or another. And so you can hear that I've been thinking about death. And I wanted to have a conversation. And I thought, who else to bring on but Tammy Folds? Tammy is an ICF certified coach, 500-hour certified yoga teacher. She is 
the Daring Way Facilitator, Certified Facilitator, which is Brene Brown's program, and all-round perspective shifter who uses her skills to help people around the world retell their inner stories and choose their own adventures through life. Tammy has an arsenal of techniques and life experience under her belt, from positive psychology and event planning to guided meditation to experience in healthcare and end-of-life planning. Tammy believes that death is the ultimate event and that facing it doesn't have to be scary. It can be beautiful, fascinating, thought-provoking, and the key to a more fulfilling life right now. So enjoy this episode, and I'd love to hear your feedback. You can email me or find me on Instagram or Facebook and let me know what you think and what your thoughts are about death. Tammy, it's great to have you on Reframe Your Life again. I'm so happy to be back. But we're missing one person this time. Yes. I know. Yes. Joanne says hi. She just sent me a text actually <laughs> just before I started. So I told her I was hi, interviewing jo. you. <laughs> She's still a faithful listener. So that's yes. great. Awesome. Yeah. And I listened to our last episode and it was actually November 2016, the first time that you were on Reframe Your Life or the last time you were on Reframe Your Life and listened to it and you were just starting into the area that you're focusing on now which is life and death coaching and I thought it would be so good to have you back just to talk about some of the things so something that I was talking to you about and wow I'm just launching right into a heavy conversation right (laughs) off but when we were doing the first interview, my dad was just starting to decline. And we talked a lot about death and what I was experiencing with his dementia diagnosis. And as you know, he, um, not even a month ago, passed away. And it was so helpful for me to listen to that episode again, because I realized in a lot of ways, there was preparation happening in my in my mind and in and I was already starting to think about how his end of life was playing out and you gave me some really good thoughts and it also gave me a place to articulate some of the things I was feeling so that was kind of timely to listen to it again oh that warms my heart that's so great yeah (laughs) Yeah. And my gosh, yeah, I just started because I'd just gotten back from California where I did my first workshop, a death coaching workshop in September. So yeah, it would have been two months into my journey, super fresh. And so now, yeah, two years later, a lot has changed. Yeah. Um, but I'm so glad that that was a reference uh, point for you as you were dealing with your father. Yeah. And also, I think you'd commented on my Instagram story where I was chronicling my rituals that I did with my dear friend's dog who was being euthanized and yeah I think you kind of you're going to do some of those rituals as well Mm -hmm. after so that's great yeah that's what I'm hoping to do is to help people you know in these darker times to shed some light and help them through yeah it's important and I I was curious to know so two years later and you've you know more than got your feet wet now in this area. (laughs) What's surprised you? 
So, yeah, I mean, when I just started, um, my intention was, well, it started because I was just like, there's this fear of death that people have when I was doing the life coaching that I was getting more and more curious about and then kind of kept getting all the different hits from the universe of like, you need to explore this. And, and I had set the intention at the beginning to help people have a forum to talk about their stories, beliefs, and fears around death. And with that intention of helping them to be able to talk about it so that they could get their end of life paperwork together mm-hmm. because under 20% of the population has it done a hundred percent of us are going to die. So I thought, well, isn't that an interesting gap? You know, so let me help fill that gap and start the conversation with that intention of paperwork. And then as I, so it would have been right at the time when we recorded that last podcast, I was just developing my death coaching process. And as I was taking people through it, I realized it was really more about helping people live their life now. Like, so once they realized the fear of death didn't have quite a tight of a hold as they thought maybe it did, mm-hmm. that they were like, oh, wow, I actually am scared to do the big travels or to quit my job or, you know, whatever, these big things that they really wanted to do. So I was like, well, that's interesting. So it's just been this kind of process of this winding path of me just following whatever is guiding me, which now is more into helping people with who have had a brush of death, but I'm sure we'll get to that. But yeah, it's more um, helping people live their life now by using death as a tool. So kind of like still life coaching, but beginning at the end. Mm-hmm. So kind of reverse engineering that whole process. Because, you know, when you think about deathbed stories that you've heard, or maybe you sat bedside, they're all about how to live your life. They're about what's important, what's not important, what to let go of. And it usually is around relationships and and connection and that sort of thing versus what we always chase in the daily life, which is more like the material gains and that sort of stuff. So it's been this really cool unraveling, uncovering curiosity Mm. (laughs) of the past two years. Um, Yeah. You know, one of the conversations I had with my dad and in some ways, you know, as difficult as it is, having that long drawn out uh, decline like we did, it also gives you an opportunity to have some Mm -hmm. rich conversations. And so I, I tried to be very uh, intentional about that. So when I go see him, I'd always come with a question that I wanted to ask him. My dad had the kind of uh, dementia, it's called Lewy body, which it um, doesn't affect memory quite the same way as Alzheimer's. Mm. So it affects more um, physically like uh, Parkinson's, but also um, cognitively in that you have hallucinations and more of an altered reality. So just the part of the brain it impacts. So most of the time he was very aware of and able to talk and very lucid. So I asked him one time about regrets because I think that's, Mm -hmm. you know, something we hear a lot about. And he said to me, oh, I regret not going home, like where he came from. He said, because I always said next year, next year, next year. And, you know, this year I've got this on and this year I'm going to do this and this year I'm going to do that. And he said, I just put things off until I wasn't well enough to go. And mm. he said, I, that was one of his regrets that he, and he said to me, you know, don't put things off. Yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of cool. Because we all do that. Oh, tomorrow. Oh, and even actually when um, someone has died, so maybe it's a friend's mother or something like that. And you're like, oh, I'll call her tomorrow. 
mm-hmm. okay, well, I'll call the next day. And then two weeks go by. And then, you know, then the shame spiral starts because you're like, oh my God, I'm such a bad friend. Well, now how am I going to say anything? So it really can be a barrier for people. Um, and to enter that point of your, your dad's story, I had a client who was a corporate client and she's like, can we just hit pause for a second? You know, something's come across my radar and I want to talk about it. I'm like, of course. So she was sharing the story of how her best friend was getting married in South Africa, one of her favorite places in the world. And she really wanted to take her son. But obviously, all the excuses, again, we all use of like, there's not enough money, there's not enough time, you know. Mm-hmm. And she's like, it's going to cost $5,000. I don't have that. You know, what do I do? And this is exactly the time when I just started dabbling in the death coaching. So she had done the intake form for that. So I was like, hang on a second, let's just put, you know, hit pause there and let me check what your deathbed regrets were in your form. Sandy, you know what hers was? I'm going <laughs> to guess. Taking, <laughs> not taking my son to my favorite places in the world, like verbatim. So when I read it back to her, she was like, shut up. Oh, I wrote that, and I'm like, yeah, you did. She's like, I know I did. You know, she knew that. So she's like, well, there's your answer, because <laughs> you, know, you wrote this, and this would be a regret of yours. So the next morning, she texted me. She had booked the flights and had the whole trip paid off before they even left Canada. Oh. So all these excuses, right, that we make up. So I'm sure your dad had the same, oh, not enough time for me to get back home. Oh, not enough money. It's like, just do the thing. Yeah. And it was similar for me. I mean, I don't know when this dream of mine started, but for as long as I can remember, I always wanted to visit Australia and Africa and did both of those in my twenties and thirties. And I remember flying home from a couple of months in Africa and I was just like, this plane can go down and I am totally cool. Cause I knew my soul's yearning to visit those places you know, check those boxes. I felt so completely fulfilled and at peace, which is a really cool mm-hmm. feeling. And that's what I'm hoping, you know, to help other people gain is that feeling of fulfillment and, you know, calm and peace so that whenever the time comes, you're okay. Yeah. You know, and it's not something new to most of us. Like, I'm sure we've all mm-hmm. heard that kind of, you know, would you, what would you regret on your deathbed kind of question. And yet we still, like your friend, even though she had, your colleague, even though she had written out her answer on a form, still didn't make <laughs> the connection, right? Yeah. On my website, you can go, there's a, a book now where I actually have those 10 top questions that I ask people. Um, that's a download you can just get it and then work through the book on your own but it's that nice little reference piece right so you can be like oh yeah I did ask myself that question what did I write I'm going to do it I just downloaded it today (laughs) because I I was like on your website and I was like oh this looks really cool and I thought this would be a good thing because I was talking to you before about I'm turning 60 in a few weeks and I thought this is a really good thing to think about at this well at any stage of life but you know there's there's those big days in our life where we give more time to you know thinking about what's next and this feels like a new stage for me so Mm -hmm. I am going to I just thought I'd let you know I am going to answer those questions I'm really looking forward to it awesome yeah Yeah, well I'll be following up yeah (laughs) So yeah, they're, they're great. They're really like, that's a good catalytic tool. You know, that's what I say, because it tends to set a fire in people. They're like, yeah, yeah, do these things. <laughs> Definitely. It's good. And you're good at that. I want to congratulate you because since the last time we spoke, I know that uh, the Being Boss book has come out and it's been really successful and that you contributed to that book. 
Yeah, I did the piece on core values, um, which is the absolute cornerstone of my life and death coaching process. And because if you align with your core values now and carry them through right to the end, that would be my absolute dream (laughs) to have people just living in that alignment again with that ease and connection all the way through to your last breath. Um, so I was really happy to, to be asked to contribute to that book and yeah, to congratulations to, you know, um, Kathleen and Emily on, on the success of that book. It's really great. Great. So with that, just, I thought I'd ask you a few questions about the core values in case people are listening and they don't really know how do you decide what your core values are. Mm-hmm. Is there a process that you take people through? Is that in the book if people wanted to go through yeah. that? Yeah, it's um, basically, it's not easy <laughs> because you have to, you know, it's like I call it panning for gold. So there's about 200 words uh, on a sheet and you just keep filtering and filtering and filtering through it. So the first round, you look at them and you just circle the words you like, happy, joyful, you know, whatever it is. And then you keep applying different filters to it. And again, that just keeps getting whittled and whittled down until I guess that point, like I know for me, it came down to like, oh, I have truth and honesty. Those are really close. What do those mean? So I had to actually get a dictionary out and look at the definitions. And what were my definitions of those? And then kind of see how they, you know, if, uh, or even in different situations. So if I had to choose money over, you know, connection, how would that pan out for me in just kind of a, a work scenario or in a personal scenarios and that sort of thing. Um, so it does, that's why it takes a while to shift through it because A, you have to get down to kind of your top 10. And then for me, I ended up putting them as like a top five hard, you know, core values and then like the softer supporting ones. So rest, I thought was wimpy. <laughs> I kept sort of, I kept coming back to it. I'm like, really? Come on. Shouldn't I be a hustler and you know, all that? But no, when I look back on my life, my family, our champion nappers, all of us, we really value, you know, having that time to recharge and reset. And I am not in my best health or balanced um, when I'm not rested. So for me, having it as a hard value, I know if things, whatever, I could be tinkering on my laptop trying to write something. And if it's just not flowing and I'm feeling kind of tired, like, you know what? And I'm the queen of like the 10 minute, <laughs> 10, 15 minute power nap. I'm like, go lay down, come back, and always I come back refreshed and can finish what I'm working on. Um, so I was like, okay, this is actually a superpower. Yeah. <laughs> but when I first started the process, I'm like, nah, <laughs> really? So so it's, it's an interesting, you know, uncovering of what is just really important to you because then that becomes the guidepost for your life. So I keep mine on my phone for easy reference. So if I'm in a situation where I'm just like, I'm getting really, I used to call that scratchy, where you're like, I don't know, but I just feel uncomfortable and I want to get out of here. I can usually reference my core values and pretty easily detail why that was upsetting me. Mm -hmm. And be like, okay. So again, I have a, you know, a core value of honesty. And if I know someone is lying to me, then I'll be like, okay, you don't value that. That's fine. I can now move on with way greater, you know, less casualties and less cursing than if I had not been, you know, aware of what that value was that was getting really rubbed the wrong way. So, and then also, you know, conversely, when you're living in accordance with your core values, everything's pretty dreamy, you know, birds mm-hmm. are louder, it seems the sun's shining bright, but it's because you can actually look back at your values like, yeah, I'm rested. 
you know, I know I'm living authentically and I'm living in my, I spoke my truth earlier today, like all those sort of things. You're like, yeah, it feels good. And then you just keep going and doing that. So, and they don't change, right? Um, priorities definitely change over your life, but values are pretty, pretty cemented. I mean, I've added curiosity to mine because I'm realizing that's, um, I didn't really originally have it on, but now over time, I'm seeing the real value of that, of being just really naturally curious and how that helps me uncover, that helps with my learning and adventure (laughs) values. So yeah, so they may may tweak a bit for the most part. They're pretty, pretty solid. Well, that's very helpful. And I will put a link to the book in the show notes if people want to how to look for it and, and mm-hmm. read what you've written in there. It's great. It's interesting that you said that because this morning I was up journaling and I was feeling a little bit out of sorts today, the, early this morning, and um, I've just come off of a pretty intense over a week where mm-hmm. things have been just piling up and I had to do um, accounting stuff today, which is mm. never a happy time for me but it's one of those you know needs to be done things but I got out my journal and I was thinking about it and I didn't really frame it as a values exercise but I was thinking about it from that perspective is you know like so what is what is going on and what is missing right now that Mm -hmm. has you feeling this way and I realized like something that's very important to me is feeling not rest, I don't even know what the word is, I'll have to look and mm. sit with that, but just I like to have a certain rhythm in my life, mm. and because I've been away a lot, I I haven't had any kind of rhythm, and for me that means like getting up and going to bed at a certain time, getting up and journaling, then going for a nice long walk, and then coming home, and you know, like mm-hmm. sort of easing into my day, but I have been out the door by seven, <laughs> pretty much every day this week yeah. and for those of us who choose self-employment it's so we don't have to be out the door <laughs> seven in the morning so it's good I, I think that's a little digression from talking about death coaching but I think it is part of it for sure uh, yeah having you know looking at your life from that perspective of what what gives you life really yeah, and even again, your values at the end of life. Um, I by you know again uncovering kind of all these things as I go. I was like, wow, I probably will value rest in my final days. Where you know people tend to you know rush around and do all these things. I'll probably be like, hey guys, <laughs> you know, let's just everyone calm down. I'm gonna have a nap. You guys can go grab coffees. Come back in a couple hours. Like, but I'll be so resonant and like have that. <laughs> clarity around my values that I'll feel okay speaking up for that you know whereas I might have previously felt guilty being like oh my god people are here to see me of course I should you know stay up and be awake and you know chat with them but nope <laughs> it's probably gonna be I need my rest so peace out I will see you in a couple hours you know but I'll be okay saying that we talked about this but I think it's um i have obviously experienced death. I'm fresh off of the death of my mm-hmm. father. So it's been, well, I guess I've been using the curiosity with this, but really paying attention to how people talk about it, not from a judgmental, you know, they're not saying the right thing kind of perspective, but just curious. Some people seem really comfortable talking mm-hmm. about things and some people aren't as comfortable talking about 
about um, death and it's been interesting for me like telling people about sort of the experience I felt I needed to unpack sometimes was um, seeing my dad's dead body and mm -hmm. um, you know that I could see that made some people really uncomfortable and then other people are just naturally curious and they'd be like so you know what was that like for you and it was like they really wanted to be in that moment with me and I was thinking about that and just this whole idea of why we don't like to talk about death and have you figured that one out yet? Continually learning <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes people don't like to talk about I find and again I've been researching a lot of this it's because they have a fear that if they talk about it they'll die. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like the classic, well, we're going to, I'm going to go sign my will and then walk out so I can get hit by a bus. It's like, no, <laughs> you won't die from talking about death and you definitely don't want to, you know, make all these decisions at the end of your life. That's why we want to talk about them now. Um, but yeah, there's some really deep seated fears around it and, you know, you can get into the whole, you know, big conversations about that, but really, um, and I was saying like a, there's a great Mark Twain quote that the fear of death follows from the fear of life and a man who lives fully is prepared to die at any time, which again ties into what my mission is here is to get people living those full lives now so that they can die peacefully. And an interesting thing I learned, um, I, I'm Irish and I didn't realize in my Irish mm. background, there's communities where it's a very communal based process in that it's called keening. Do you know about Irish keening? Well, I'm Irish as well. And like my mom is from Ireland, but I did not know about keening. Right. I know. Mm -hmm. I have a shamrock tattoo. I'm like, it's going to be fading in color because uh, like you didn't know about this, but I learned this actually from that death conference I attended recently, but it's a beautiful, beautiful community process in that. And he talked about it with his father, um, this author, um, Kevin Toulis and basically from the moment you know that you're in your final stages uh, there's a head keener and she'll start keening which is basically singing some will call it wailing you know whatever it is but it's actually a beautiful um, song and they were singing bible verses and actually one that I recognize I'm not religious but one that I'd recognize I'm like okay and what happens is she sings, and then all the women collectively add their voice to these verses. And then it grows louder and louder and louder, and so that it gets out to the community, and like people hear the call, and they will come to that bedside. And what I think is really, you know, beautiful about that process is that then everyone witnesses from you know, the moment people call, you know, the death rattle where the breath gets really labored and that sort of thing. So people are hearing that, they're seeing this body, they're kind of singing the body through the process, through the death, and then through, you know, um, the whole transition. So he was saying, by the time your death rolls around, you've attended anywhere from, you know, 50 to 500 funerals in your lifetime in this community. So there's such a uh, non-fear I don't know if you'd say not, but I mean, obviously people have things that come up, you know, for mm -hmm. them, but there's such a familiarity with the, you know, death and the process. Whereas I find with us, it's more like, okay, they've died. Now let's come together. Right. So I found that so fascinating. And I was like, what a beautiful community ritual. Cause that's another thing I've been learning is how death needs ritual. 
And as much as we, you know, like to be prepared and a lot of families will have everything paid for, the tomb's already done, like, every, you know, all you have to do is show up. What um, Caitlin Doty, who was also speaking at this conference, and she's a, you know, famous funeral director in California, she has an awesome YouTube video series, so definitely <laughs> love to link to that. But um, she was saying that she's finding in her um, practice that people are now just showing up with nothing to do, and it doesn't help that process. Right. So it's like, oh, I just, I just come here and everything's done and organized and paid for. And yeah, there's, you know, whereas back in the day, you know, people used to, the families to get together. That was the parlor room of the house is where mm-hmm. that turned into the funeral parlor where you would come together and wash the body and share stories and, you know, prep for that funeral. And now it's just like, ah, oh, just show up and say a few words and bye. You know, so it's this weird trend transition that's not helping us we we like to think that we're helping the bereaved and that they don't we're not burdening them that's another big you know um fear at the end of life is that we don't want to financially burden our families we don't want to be you know we don't want them taking care of us like leave that to the hospital staff and that sort of thing but it actually people want to help mm-hmm. um so i found this irish tradition of being involved in that whole process and even you know kevin was saying he's like i looked up in the early stages and there were people i had never even seen before but here they were gathering to help and support and sing his father through. I was like, oh, wow. that's, that's amazing. So <laughs> I, I love that. And, I, you know, I was thinking is it's, you know, we've removed death, you know, from the home, really. Not too many yeah. people die in their home anymore. And maybe in a hospice place. We've reclaimed birthing back into the home. So mm-hmm. I wonder if we'll reclaim dying back into the home as a society it is trending is yeah, it yeah it's um actually under one third of north americans now want their traditional embalming and funeral um and i think it was over 60 percent are now wanting to do the home funerals and the more green options and that sort of thing so i think there is a trend moving there and as you know i joke the silver tsunami you know comes mm-hmm. through this stage they're going to be demanding these services and that. So I think it, it has to happen. It's going to happen and you do already see it. Um, and that's the thing is home funerals until the war were what everyone did. Right. And then it was only because we started embalming soldiers and that to get them home, you know, that that then became the way that we do it. But now I think the, the pendulum's starting to swing a little bit back because again, there's such a beautiful ritual that happens and they're coming together. Yeah. So we, we touched a little bit on that you'd been to a conference. So it was the first international death symposium. So I just mm-hmm. wanted to reference what it actually was, this conference you went to, and it was in Toronto. How big was the conference? I think they got about 200 people. Okay. Yeah, which was great. Um, I actually got to follow up with I, one girl, uh, Sun Drews is one of the organizers, and, uh, well, in event land, we always joke that we do a postmort after any event. So right. it's like, oh, my God, you're going to actually do, like, a postmortem <laughs> on a um, death on conference. Your event. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, unintended. Um, but I think they were going to find out that it was a huge success. Uh, and it was, so, it was so cool for me because usually I'm the girl at the party that's like, oh, she's the death coach. You know? like, <laughs> may not want to talk to her. Although people are always, I always joke, there's this, kind of bobbing that happens so when I do go to a social situation where I don't know people you know the always you know the common question what do you do I'm a life and death coach I'm like oh so they kind of like oh and they lean back a bit and they're like death and then they lean in and they're like really what's that about yeah you know, it's kind of this like always this like shock and then this 
real curiosity. That's again, why I kind of added curiosity into my values. Cause I, yeah. Um, but yeah, this death symposium, yeah. In Toronto in September and yeah, they had like Caitlin Doherty, that woman, the female, um, the woman female, <laughs> the female funeral director in California. They had BJ Miller who, um, started up the Zen hospice project in San Francisco. He's a palliative care doctor who has an amazing story. His Ted talk, you should put a link to that too. It's, um, just a phenomenal, mm. yeah. Oh, so moving. Um, they had Stephen Jenkins, who's known as the grief walker. Oh, I uh, think I'm going to see him. Is yes, I think I just right. got tickets for it. He has a thing called a night of death and mystery or grief, grief and uh, mystery. Grief yeah. And mystery. So yeah. now he's put all his, he's very poetic. Um, so he's now put it to music. It's really cool. Really, really neat what he does. Um, yeah, psychologists, you know, there was such a panel of, of a spirit and science um, that I just, yeah, loved. I was so in my element because, again, I was that girl that could now talk to other people about death and not be the weird one. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Where everyone was just, you know, everyone wants to, you know, work in this space. And really kind of always had that same intention of just, you know, the unnecessary suffering and easing the burden, you know, to get people talking about it so that it's a normal part of life because it is. It is, yeah. So what yeah. were some of the other highlights of the conference for you in terms of, you know, maybe some areas of practice or ideas mm -hmm. or trends you heard being discussed? Yeah, it was, um, actually a lot of it was centered around honoring our ancestors, which again, I think is kind of left, you know, as it used to be something we did a lot and, um, well, day of the dead. Mm -hmm. coming up and they you know talked about that and how it's just really important um to bring them into the ceremony those that have you know died before us and again that whole ritual needing to happen there needs to be action in order to help process the grief uh a beautiful action meaning like a funeral? So or? doing ritual yeah so um whether that be I mean funerals they obviously the ritual we always think of, but there's so many other things you can do. And for me, like when I did, you know, anyone can visit my Instagram page and see the highlight story about how I was performing my rituals around that pet death, um, which included lighting candles because I knew the day he was going to be euthanized. So when I got up, I lit a candle in his honor and I kept that burning all day. And then when I knew the timing there in California, so I you know, did the time difference. I'm like, okay, he's being euthanized at noon, so at 3 o'clock. So I started around 2 o'clock just performing his rituals, um, which included just meditation and some journaling and reflecting on, you know, what this dog meant to me. We lived together for a while, right? So this dog was, and he was a super special dog. Um, and, and actually having to process that feeling silly, you know, because I think for pet death, we don't give it as much gravity I guess as we do humans but my goodness I still to this day have not cried as hard as I did when my dog died when mm -hmm. I was a teenager and you know there are children in a lot of aspects and um, I'm actually going to do a whole blog post just on on pet death because um, it's a full contact experience right to go through that especially if you're having to make the choice mm -hmm. to put them down um Yes, anyways, back to the conference. So ritual, the importance of that, of just having some kind of action behind, you know, the processing of the grief and sadness that comes with death. Because, um, that, again, that just kind of showing up and being like, oh, okay, well, here we are. <laughs> you know, it's it's awkward. So the more you can do to help you 
whether that's connecting with nature, the journaling, you know, um, and I'm going to, again, write even more on that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, also the cool thing was how our body knows what to do and we need to get out of the way. And this really hit me because I remember my grandmother and she had very vocally said she was ready to go and had just stopped eating. And we kept, you know, oh, no, no, have this. And it got to like, let's get her some bottles of Venture. Let's do these things. And it's like, no, the body's doing what it wants to do. And we just kept getting in the way and kind of prolonging that. Um, so I was like, wow, that's... And actually, Stephen Jenkins was the one that talked about that. Who are you going to go see in concert? Because <laughs> um, just like how the body knows how to, you know, do birth, we know how to do death. So the more we can just surrender and let nature take its course, the better. Um yeah, the ancestors. Oh, and then there was a whole piece on um, legacy and music therapy and how um, it's called Seasons, I think, in Chicago. And it's this hospice that really incorporates music therapy, whether that be helping people record songs, you know, like changing the lyrics of be about their families and they have that piece, you know, for when, you know, mom dies or whatever. Um, oh, and they had legacy bears. So they would take, pieces of clothing um from the person you know after they had died and a month or two later they would you know circle back with the family and present this little teddy bear that they would make out of their clothing so it smelled Mm -hmm. like them and they could hug it and have that little piece of yeah I was like that is so beautiful um what else oh and I didn't realize this that I mean obviously it's thought that hearing is the last sense to go and I know when my grandmother died, we were all at her bedside. And my mother, and I did a whole blog post on this, but my mother was able to liberate her by instinctively leaning over and, and telling her, you know, it's okay, you can go now. And seconds later, you know, grandma was gone. And I thought, isn't that interesting that if hearing is the last thing to go, that I think people usually have that instinct that even if they are, you know, in a coma or that sort of thing, people always know to talk mm-hmm. and and that they can hear, and I truly believe that. Yeah, so it was a fascinating conference, as you can imagine. Because it was, be. again, this beautiful blend of science and nature, and or spirit nature, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, so hopefully they'll, back. they'll be back next year. Yeah, so one of the things that I, I wanted to talk a little bit about that I know you had mentioned to me about that conference was anticipatory grief. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought... And maybe I, obviously, I don't really know what it is. I thought that was like when you knew somebody was going to die, that you grieve before they die. I oh, thought that be. was anticipatory grief, but I, now I think it means something totally different. Well, it could be both, right? It could just yeah. be levels, um, yeah. you know, pre and post. But yeah, the anticipatory grief that he was talking about, um, which actually I have his book there, Kumar. Yeah, he's a psychologist and how grief is circular and our calendars are linear <laughs> so mm. it's this in- interesting intersection where we you know that circle may flare up again when birthdays anniversaries you know christmas is coming up um and the body will actually and a friend of mine is going through this now where she's having this inexplainable back pain and now it's neck pain it just keeps showing up in different ways um and she's like no i totally attribute it to my mother's death and I know that her birthday's coming up and so the body will just kind of tense and experience pain almost if it's bracing itself knowing mm-hmm. that there's going to be grief you know coming up on this calendar date so 
he was suggesting this um, psychologist to just like have know that it's a hot zone. So Christmas, maybe that week before and the week after, you're going to really ramp up your self care, your meditation, being mindful, connecting with others, and then you know that's where you can also honor the ancestors and that too of having these rituals mm-hmm. of bringing up their photos, talking about them, maybe cooking their favorite meal, you know that sort of thing, so that you can help to process that emotion because that's all grief is is emotion which i always say is just energy and motion so the more you can process it through physical activity and again ritual like writing all that you know sort of thing will help to move it through it's when we try to stuff it down and avoid it and be like nope i'm not going to feel this don't have time i'm going to numb it out instead with you know tv or wine or food or whatever it's like yeah it's the body keeps score it's going to know and it, it will shut you down if you don't welcome it forward breathe into it and process it it's um funny what um triggers you too right and sometimes there are those key days and then there's probably other things that as well that i think that are unexpected when you're like you were saying pay attention to what you're physically feeling and then say is there any link to something else Mm -hmm. here yeah yeah, well, like, you know, driving down the highway, and that's the cutoff to grandma's house, you know, or, yeah, like having um, rituals that maybe they perform. So if they were, you know, very active in the church, and they, every Christmas they did, you know, dinners for the homeless, then that may be something you'd want to get involved in to kind of, you know, keep that tradition of theirs going. Um, but yeah, but like things that can, environments can remind you of them, smells, again, yeah, like that driving down the highway, that's where I had before. I'm like, oh, this is the turn off for her place, but we're not turning off, you know. Right. Um, you, you talked, a, you've been talking a little bit about rituals and ancestors. So are there rituals that help us? I mean, I, I, I know there are like in some cultures rituals, but, mm-hmm. you know, what are some rituals that can help us re- connect with deceased loved ones I guess the one you just said about Christmas and helping out at a shelter if that's what they did is there anything else that mm-hmm. yeah for me it's um and actually just because we're at the timing you know it's the end of October we are coming up to Day of the Dead um and yeah. coming up as well where it's thought that the veil between the two worlds is thinnest and so that it's easier to connect um with people on the other side for me, I love meditation and I actually have, you know, some meditations that help you connect with others on the other side. And actually, I should probably record that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, but honestly, for me, it's more, I, I believe that candles help to guide, you know, it's literally that light that will help, um, you know, bring other ones, whether I connect with my grandmother, you know, whoever is on the other side or friends that have passed that that just kind of light sort of helps them know that I'm setting that intention to connect. And then I'll journal about them or I'll do Oracle cards or sometimes just sit quietly in meditation and be like, Hey, I want to chat with you. You know, what's going on? Um, it's different for everyone, right? Some may want to go walk in nature and because they, you know, maybe their grandmother was a, I don't keep going to grandmothers, but grandmother was <laughs> a gardener, you know? So maybe you want to go and, you know, put your hands in the dirt and feel the earth and, and connect that way. It's just, it's really thinking about that person. And again, kind of what traditions you may have had with them. And then you can try doing those. If there's like a favorite meal you used to cook together, you can cook that meal. But for me, I'm more of a meditator side. So I tend to lean towards that more, but um, 
yeah, for anyone listening, I'll just say, think about the person you want to connect with and what you used to do together and try it out and see if you can, because um, they also, also people, I know my grandmother is a bunny. Like I totally believe she <laughs> sends a bunny whenever I need to connect with her. So that sometimes that ends up being the trigger for me to connect is that I'll see a bunny and I'm like, oh, she's trying to talk to me. So let me get quiet and, you know, see what she has to say sort of thing. So that's another way I could also spontaneously kind of connect with you instead of you setting the intention, they might set the intention. Oh, that's kind of a neat idea. My sister said she keeps seeing an orange cat, like, in different mm. places, and it makes her think of my dad. So, yeah. 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 So I was thinking about, um, you know, modern family and, and um, just the blends of family we have, because this was also an observation that I had with my dad's funeral. So my dad was not a religious person at all. My mom is very actively involved in her church. And then within the family, there's, it's a cross, like just a mm. mashup of different beliefs and thoughts. And, and um, I, I wonder, I was wondering like how that impacts us coming together, you know, when, when, if we all shared the same belief system or way of looking at these things it, it would seem like oh well we're we know we're going to do these rituals but when people come from all different places I was just thinking about how you know how do we find comfort or meaning in death individually and in within a family when we're from all different ways of thinking about it do you have any thoughts on that I know that's a huge question <laughs> You can just yeah, say, well, uh, pass. <laughs> all you can take care of is yourself. You know, people are going to do their own things. And as much as you can. So for me, this comes down to, a, you know, it's a Brene Brownism of living big. So boundaries, integrity, and generosity. So that when you are being challenged, perhaps by someone else's belief, you know, bashing up against your own, you can just set the boundary, whatever that may be for you. So well, whatever, but say you have an example of um, your brother is, you know, a Catholic and believes A, B, and C things should happen, you don't believe that they should, then you can just set a boundary of, hey, you know what, why don't we talk about this as a family, so bring in the other siblings or whatever it is, and we can all discuss this together. Um, that keeps you in your integrity, so whatever, because that's going to usually be mean you having to say, you know, choose the, the, the right thing to do over what's easy to do, which might be, yeah, you know what? Mom was, you know, kind of Catholic, so let's just do what you want to do. Um, and then generosity, again, just knowing that they're trying their best in this difficult time to navigate these, you know, murky waters that obviously weren't discussed before. And that's why, again, we want to have all this stuff, you know, discussed before the death so that everyone's on the same page. But yeah, obviously that does not happen all the time. So then I would just say, take care of yourself. So then if you have that run in with the sibling, go home, journal about it. Again, whatever your tools are, I'm just doing what I would normally lean on, mm -hmm. which is meditating and journaling and probably just hitting a yoga class and, you know, reconnecting and grounding myself, knowing that I was just in a very inflammatory state. So I need to just exhale and <laughs> come back home to me, you know? Um, not sure if that helps but yeah it's a big question obviously very individualized and um actually son drews and i have to see if she has a website but uh the funeral director who organized was the co-organizer of that conference she's actually now specializing in mediation 
with families because she found as a funeral director there was just so much conflict that happened and she really has her niche like she loved helping the families you know come to that that common ground so that they could move forward and and really honor you know um the disease so yeah oh it's definitely i'm sure can bring out the best and the Oh my gosh! Dysfunction and the worst. in a family because <laughs> exactly. everybody's so raw emotionally, you know, and yeah. everybody's experience in a family is different. So, and your experience with your um, whoever it is that you've lost, everyone's experience with that person would be different. So, yeah. Um, so, I think self care is a great way to end that because you know, at the like you said, at the end of the day, you can only take care of yourself, and yet. I think often, at least my experience, is that we really focus on maybe the other people in the situation and what they need. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in my case, my mother and uh, kind of don't deal with what I need to be doing because I want to make sure, you know, mm -hmm. she's doing okay. So I, I really like that idea of self-care and making that a priority. So. Yeah. Before we wrap up, I just wondered if you could just summarize kind of exactly what you do to help anyone listening who is uh, resonating with this idea of life and death coaching. And I, I also want to say I love your website, your spoiler alert when you say <laughs> spoiler alert, you're going to die. And um, I think that... You've done a great job with positioning, living your life sort of with the end in mind. So maybe you. you can just um, walk through what, what you think it's important for people to know about your work. Yeah, well, with that, there's humor. You know, my intention <laughs> is also to bring lightness and liberation to what is normally a very dark and heavy topic. Um, because we should be, you know, finding that light in this. And... So still in the life and death coaching. So I do one-to-one -one coaching with people who are, so any of these listeners that are intrigued with this, they can go on my website. You'll see, you can sign up for a discovery session, um, which also includes a download of my core values assessment um, with that. And then with that, you get an hour with me and we'll talk about whether this is a, you know, awesome match and we should work together. And, and, um, and if you find that isn't for you, I'm also, um, just released, I'll be doing a full, I did a soft launch of Do Death Differently. So this is uh, based on the chakra system, which is the energetic anatomy of the body. It just provides a great structure um, around being able to process death. So this is suited more for people who've had a brush with death. So whether that be, you know, a cancer diagnosis or like you, like a death of your parents um, or, you know, people have just, you know, when things happen around the world, you think, oh my gosh, life is so precious. We could be gone. Ah! You know, how do I, how do I start to work through that? Then this guidebook um, is exactly that. So it'll help you, you know, so the starts of the root chakra, which is all about your foundation, security, you know, who you have to reorient yourself. You might be a widow now or something like that. So how do you know? How's your role in society? And then through the emotions, which is the second chakra. So obviously a gamut of emotions come up with this topic. And then, you know, moving into power and heart and speaking your truth and, you know, visualizing and, and how do you want to be? So, so I'm trying to have, you know, that kind of more, dip a toe and in the new year i'll be doing a launch with a group project probably around that um but right now it's just the one-to-one -one services and then yeah 
the new debt definitely is available now. It's just being dripped out month by month. Um, and then the new year, I'll probably launch it as like more of a, a group type program that we'll all do together. That's great. And I just remembered something that you did, I think, in this earlier this year. And I, I have a little bit of an idea of what it is, but the mm -hmm. Swedish death cleaning. Mm. Is that what it was called? Swedish death cleaning? Yeah, I did a workshop. Yeah, my friend's a professional organizer. So we came together because um, that's kind of the new Marie Kondo, which she was the minimalist, you know. The whole, what was it? The, oh, the magic art of tidying up the Japanese mm -hmm. way of doing it. So along comes um, the Swedish death cleaning, which is same sort of thing, but really more focused on a, um, again, a community. So bringing like family and friends together and going through your stuff so that it's not this thing at the, you know, at the end where your tea set's going to these grandchildren who don't want it. <laughs> you know, it's more like, do you want this? And then if, if so, take what you want. And then we can decide, you know, if we're going to donate to charity or we're going to sell it or what's going to be. So it's kind of this natural, gradual process of cleaning out your house so that whenever, again, your time comes that you're not having all this stuff to go through or that your family has to go through after you die. Um, so yeah, it's a really, it's really gotten quite popular um so yeah the workshop was really fun we talked about what your clutter styles are and you know that sort of thing because i'm a sentimentalist i have things from all around the world I'm like i can't get rid of that even though i don't use it anymore I'm like, <laughs> but i brought that home from africa um so it's, it's interesting it kind of goes through all that and just how to how to clean now again versus the end having being at my stage of life there are I'm in a time or a season where lots of people are losing their parents. And that mm -hmm. is one of the challenges that people then deal with is like a house full of stuff, you know, yeah. and what do you do and um, how do you get through it all? So I, I was quite interested in that. I hope you run that again because I think that mm -hmm. it's, I'm sure it's really helpful for people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just start, actually it was interesting at that workshop, like, because part of the, the leaving exercise was you had to commit to one thing you were going to toss as soon as you got home that you knew no one wanted. <laughs> that was just like, I just have to get rid of this pair of boots, you know, whatever, that I'm never going to wear again and no one's going to want them. Oh, and then nice. it was, you know, and then what can you get rid of over the next week, the next month, you know, and there was some follow-up with that. But, yeah, we've, uh, we should run it again because uh, I've had other people ask about it as well. So, yeah, yeah it's fun. But the book is great, too. And she's a funny writer. <laughs> She's, I'm going to look for that. She's that good, yeah. Good. Well, thank you so much. It's been really great catching up and hearing how things have taken shape since the last time you were on Reframe Your Life and how you've just unpacked this, this um, desire or that new direction that you had two years ago and how you've really found your footing in it. And I just want to encourage anyone listening who is either experiencing like what I've just gone through, but aging parents or uh, friendship or someone close to you who is, um, like, see, it's hard to even say, someone close to you who is dying or you've experienced your own brush with death in some other way mm -hmm. to reach out to you because it's, we don't always have places to, to have those conversations. And especially, I think, for people who are not part of communities and mm -hmm. don't have those um, people that can come around them. I think someone like you would be amazing to help in the, in those situations. So thank you, Tammy.
Yeah, thank you. And just with that, that's actually why I wrote Do Death Differently. Because as a cancer survivor, I found the medical system great in getting you, you know, back on your feet and healed. And then they're like, bye. Mm-hmm. And there was kind of this, oh, but now what? And so I'm hoping to really fill that gap where it, again, will help just people navigate through that life after a brush with death. So, yeah. So definitely give me a call. Great. Thank you. And I'll put thank all you. your details in the show notes and on social media so people can find you. But thank you very much, Tammy. Great. Thank you. Okay.